Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. We are basically like right in the, in the middle of a series at the moment called Blessed. We are working our way through um, those first sort of 11, 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, um, where Jesus lays down these things called uh, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are uh, an interesting reframing of what it means to be blessed. In first century Israel, there would have been a very specific idea of what a blessed life would have looked like, what a happy life or a fulfilled life would have looked looked like. And so Jesus, at the beginning of his um, famous Sermon on the Mount, he does this uh, fascinating thing where he both completely destroys uh, what people would know to be, um, uh, what they would think a blessed life would be. He both completely destroys that paradigm and at the same time establishes a new paradigm. So he lays a new foundation in the form of these Beatitudes. And it's quite interesting. He takes everything um, that that, uh, the sort of historical context context, that the Jewish culture, um, that the Gentile culture, he takes all of these things and he, he kind of goes through this subversive motion. He flicks everything on its head. And, and really the premise of the Beatitudes is this, is that in this sort of upside down kingdom of God, it's in, it's in the, the things that you wouldn't think that you discover the fullness of life. It's like you discover the best for yourself when you invest in others. You know, it's this, it's this complete subversion of reality. It's an incredibly powerful thing. And so the Beatitudes on the front end of the sermon give us a foundation really for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and so what we've been doing as a church is we've just been slowly working our way through each line of the Beatitudes, seeing how it sort of relates and interplays with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and really as well with the rest of the kind of grand narrative of God's story. And tonight we find ourselves um, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, where it says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, <clears throat> what a beautiful thought. Um, it feels like when I read this, that there is a, a, a closeness um, and intimacy with um, and a recognition of God that seems to come with this beatitude. It feels like the reward, the, the blessing element of, of a pure heart is to see God to recognize God, to enter into this, this kind of intimacy. It is a deeply beautiful thought. And in this beatitude in particular, Jesus does uh, really quite a, quite a specific thing. He taps into a, a whole bunch of Old Testament language. See, the idea of being pure in heart is not a new concept. It's something that was spoken about. You can find at least all through the Old Testament, whether it's uh, in the books of the prophets uh, or, or in the Psalms. Um, you know, there is always these conversations, even, even harping back to, to the Exodus narrative, there, are these, there, there is the usage of this language of being pure in heart. Here's just one example. 
we have is Proverbs 22, 11, uh, where it says this, He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king for his friend. So once again, we see in, in this proverb that, that this pureness of heart draws us into an intimacy with God. It's like if I long for, for, for a pure heart, there will be a, a discovery and an unfolding and a deepening of relationship. And I love, I love in the proverb that it's just, um, you know, he will have God as his friend, the king for his friend. You know, it's not just like the king for his king. It's not this like kind of distant thing. It's this deeply personal, uh, intimate thing that we will have a friendship with God. And so here's what I want to um, do tonight. Um, I, I want to just look at three ideas uh, around purity or, seem, or, or three ideas that sort of come up out of purity. Then what I want to do is I want to identify them actually by looking through the next chapter in Matthew, which is Matthew 6. And I'm going to ask you guys to be a little bit involved. I'm going to ask you if you've got your Bibles or your digital devices to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll be going through that a little bit. And then finally, um, I just want to just share a couple of really practical things about what it looks like to kind of cultivate um, a heart of purity in our own lives. So purity. Um, I don't know about you, like what sort of springs to mind when you think of the word purity. I sort of think of like, you know, the weird Jonas Brothers debacle with the purity rings a few years ago. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. That never really seemed like a very New Zealand thing. But sometimes like these things sort of filter through into our culture. But we kind of, we tend to like divert to thinking about purity sort of as a, as a strictly bodily thing. It's like, oh, I've got to keep my body pure. But actually, like, there's something deeper going on when Jesus is addressing purity, and he's talking about purity of the heart. It's a very interior thing. It's what's going on inside of us. And this really becomes something that Jesus will tackle time and time again, particularly when he enters into theological conversations with the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day. And so you will often see him engaging almost in conflict, you know, really like wrestling theologically with them. And he'll say things like, you know, you guys are focused so much on cleaning the outside of the cups, but you're not focusing on cleaning the inside of the cups. You know, Jesus is deeply concerned with what's kind of going on internally for us. It's not really so much about how you look or how you're perceived, but like, but what's going on in here? That seems to be something that Jesus is really concerned about. And so that is what we see time and time again whenever we come into this idea of purity. I think there are some, some themes or some ideas that sort of rise up and spring um, out of this whole thing of purity. The first is this. Is that what is purity? Well, there's, there's an uprightness to it, okay? There's a certain element of, of right living and right standing with God. So the pure-hearted person is the just man or woman who sincerely seeks to please God, obey God, and fulfill God's commandments. So there is a direct sort of opposition to the idea of, of hypocrisy. There's a, there's a delight that is found in God, in the stories of God, um, in the Word of God. There is this, this desire to, to move towards God. Um, it's, a, it's a characteristic of someone whose external demeanor, so what happens outside, is not so much, it's not that they look perfect, but, but you kind of look at them and it's like, oh, it, I think that there are some good things going on in their lives. It's like you can almost sort of tell. They're always, almost always the people who sort of say the least, but they sort of put out these little smiles that are kind of, you know, all-knowing, or they'll, the, you know, they'll take ages to reply, but when they, when they do say something, it's like, like a stroke of, you know, incredible wisdom. It's like, oh, no, there's something kind of deep going on um, inside that person. 
So the, their external demeanor reflects an interior righteousness in all things. You know, Jesus kind of recognizes it in people as he encounters them. In John 1.47, he says this when he meets this guy, Nathaniel, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. There's this recognition there's of, of like, ah, oh, yes, I see that there's, that there's something in you that is, that is pursuing God in an earnest, humble, genuine way. So the uprightness element of purity is this, that there are those who are pure, uh, that those who are pure of heart desire nothing except to please God and have no will other than God's will. There's this longing of, of simply going, God, I want to I do what you're about. You know, I want to be where you are. I want to do the things that you do. I love, you know, we sometimes talk in church about being John 5.19 people where, you know, Jesus says, I can only do what I see the Father doing. Why was that? It was because he longed for God's will. So he was looking, you know, and it was almost like Jesus was living with like the sense of like every encounter, every, every, every conversation, every meal um, was like, okay, God, what are you up to here? Father, what are you doing? What are you doing? What do you have for this person? How can I bless this person? How can I? You know, there's this, this sense of being tapped in. And so there's this sense of uprightness that sort of springs out um, of this idea of purity. I also think that there is uh, a simplicity that begins to spring um, out of this idea of purity. There's, there's kind of like, um, there's no strings attached when we're talking about purity of heart. Um, <clears throat> sometimes, uh, sometimes we're looking for ways to, to, fig- to figure out what we can, ke- can get out of a situation. You know, we're, or, or we'll paint something in a certain light, or we'll go, well, maybe if I do this thing, it'll make me look this way. Or if I do, you know, think about it in our jobs. It's like, oh, if I do this thing, then I might get a promotion. It's like, it's like often, often we're, we're actually quite concerned with what is the next thing for us. And that I certainly don't say that as a condemnation. Like, we, we're wired for sort of, you know, survival and preservation and sort of painting ourselves in the best possible light and trying to figure out what is, you know, like, we're kind of wired to, to actually be a little bit selfish. And so there's this simplicity in, um, in, in the idea of purity. We're actually, you know, the, the buck kind of just stops there, plain and simple. It's like, oh, do you need something? Okay, here it is. You know, I would love to bless you, you know. You need $5 um, to catch a bus home? Okay, here's $5. And then it, it stops there, you know. There's nothing more to it. But sometimes we're inclined to, like, hold our hand out and we, and we hand it over, and in the back of our minds, we're like, I'm actually quite generous. You know? Mm. A couple of brownie points on the old Jesus chart. You know? There's like this, and it's almost like, you know, we end up kind of catching ourselves there. So there is this simplicity that, that, that we move towards when we're talking about functioning out of the purity of heart. It's like the buck just stops with the plain and simple, with the simple act of generosity, with the simple act of kindness, with the simple act of encouragement. It's like, it's just, it's, it is what it is. And why do I do it? Because I love doing it. Plain and simple. Simplicity implies a love of God and of neighbor that isn't tied up in other things um, in sort of our calculations or our other reasons. It's kind of like a well-ironed sheet. It doesn't have any creases or folds. It's just smooth. It's just this, this thing that is completely open to God. 
to, to let God come in and move through a situation. There is no agenda of self. And you know, and that for us is like one of the things we, we fight day in, day out in our own culture, right? We, we, we are the ultimate self-marketers, right? Uh, who has posted a selfie this year? Or pictures of yourself? Hands up. Yes? Oh, really? Man, guys, maybe we're not so selfish, you know? <laughs> you know, like, like we... We, we market ourselves, we, we, we try and make ourselves look a particular way. That is like the age we live in. We, we curate this version of ourselves for all to see. But in the simplicity of the pure heart, there is no agenda. It's just here I am before you, God. I long to pursue your will and do the things of your kingdom. That is it. The buck stops there. And the final thing that I sort of see springing out of this uh, idea of, of, of purity um, is the idea of unity. So a pure heart is a heart that is unified by the love of God, entirely oriented toward God, um, rather than getting distracted by all the other things that are kind of going on. Um, in Psalm 86, 11, it says, uh, there's this beautiful expression, you know, teach me the way, O Lord, unite my heart to fear thy name. It's like there's this, there's this earnest desire to go, Lord, bind me to you. Allow me to know you, allow me to be connected so that my heart sort of is in sync with yours. You know? Like the prayer is like, Lord, would, would my heartbeat be the same as yours? Would there be no sort of like dissonance between those heartbeats? There's this real desire to just be united to the heart of God. In fact, uh, this unification of the heart, uh, to the heart of God's love is actually the central aim of the, of the, um, the Shema Israel prayer um, that, that Jews recite twice a day. And so, you know, in that, they, just, they, they do a little quote that comes out of Deuteronomy that says, um, <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. So this is the purpose of that prayer, to orient all of the heart towards the heart of God to be connected. So it's like, God, I want my heart to be united to yours and to be connected to yours. There is this acknowledgement in this unity that God is one and that in loving him wholeheartedly, men and women realize that the unity of heart and of existence. And so there is this, suddenly the sort of walls between reality and where God is and what, what's happening in our real life and all of those sorts of things. Like we're dragged in a whole bunch of different directions. And slowly it's like as, we, as we're sort of drawn into that prayerful unity, it's like actually the distance between those things doesn't seem so far. far. I'm discovering more of you, God, in my everyday life. It's like there's a, there's, suddenly there's a closeness that we move towards. And here's the thing though, right, just, just off the back of that. This whole idea of being pure in heart um, isn't about isn't about being perfect, right? So it's not about just sort of having it all together. It's not about not having wounds or hurts or being able to, you know, carry the stuff um, or the muck that exists in our life. Like, no, like there is a complete acknowledgement of those things. But this purity of heart, this desire of unity, um, of simplicity, of of uprightness, it's just this desire to, to dedicate ourselves and to orient our hearts towards God. Um, it's opposite, according to the prophets, is this idea of a shared heart. So a heart that is shared amongst lots of different things. I'll give a little bit of my heart over here and a little bit of my heart over here and over here. Um, and that kind of heart is undecided and it's irresolute. 
Um, and a, a person with such a heart has not really made a choice between God and all else and has not put all of his or her confidence and love in God. And there's this story um, in the Old Testament of Elijah, and, he's, and, he, and he encounters these, the, this whole group of people who are worshiping Baal. And really, like his big issue, he says to them, it's like, well, it's actually not so much that you're worshiping Baal. It's actually that you're, you're, you're pretty undecided. He's like, Make your, if you're going to worship Baal, do that. But you're not doing that. You're, you're, you're starting with your prayers to Yahweh in the morning. And then you go and do this other thing. And so he's, he's, he's directly challenging them. It's like, it's like, you know, this God that we serve, it's like he's, he's wanting all of us, not just, not just what's happening in the a.m. And then you get to go and do whatever you want in the p.m. You know, it's like, no, God wants all of us. And so that's really where like the challenge of that story comes from. It's like, it's like man, align your heart with, this, with the one God. So it's a call back towards these things. And so this is what I think I begin to see springing out of this idea of purity. There is this call to uprightness and to simplicity um, and to unity with God. <coughs> um, and so what I want to do now, like I said, if you've got your Bibles or your digital devices, we want to go to Matthew 6 because, like I said, the Beatitudes sort of serve as this foundation to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And when you start thinking about that, or you start looking at the rest of the sermon through the Beatitudes, you begin, um, you begin to see some other things sort of come to the forefront. And so we're going to read through Matthew 6, verses 1 to 24, and we're just going to see what begins to pop out, particularly looking for those three things, uprightness, simplicity, and unity. All right? So... Um, starting in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So right off the bat, it's like, don't be concerned with how things look on the outside. That should not be your motivating or driving force. That's not what God is looking for. And then he goes straight forward into this idea um, of generosity. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their what? All they're going to get is what people pat them on the back for. But when, you, um, <clears throat> but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So straight off the bat, what are we seeing? We're seeing this movement towards uprightness, and we're seeing this idea of simplicity begin to creep through. It's like there's, and, and actually this idea of, of almost doing your generous deed behind your own back, it's like don't let your own hand see what the other hand is doing, lest you get sort of caught up in yourself and you get proud of yourself, you know? Like that's really the thing. It's like this is what it should look like. It's got to come out of like the most purest of hearts. And it's a deeply challenging thing for us because actually at some level, we're often oriented towards things from some sort of selfish manner. So, you know, even, even giving to people can sometimes fulfill a need to serve other people. Any Enneagram 2s out there? Yeah? Oh, man, I thought there'd be way more Enneagram people. Uh, for that, but you know, like there's this thing of like, you know, I actually, I mean, you know, I need to be needed. I need to do those things like that fulfills something for me. So there's this, there's this thing coming through right here in Matthew chapter six, where it's like actually, you know, the the pure heart it, it gives without without looking. It's instinctual, and it's almost like it's almost like a little sleight of hand. It just happens without you even knowing. So there is this um, incredible simplicity um, and uh, uprightness to to it. 
Then it goes into this whole thing of prayer from verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is, is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. O Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so right here, as we explore this thing of prayer, we're starting to move into this whole idea of unity. There's this, and simplicity as well, there's this earnest desire to seek nothing but the heart of God, to be connected and united to the heart of God, to look for the things of God. And really, like the, this whole thing of the Lord's Prayer, and I, I think I've said this before, anytime we come up against it, I love, you know, um, Tom Wright's thing. It's like, it's like as, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, the more you do it, the more you begin to realize that, that you have a role to play in embodying the fulfillment of those things. You know, so we discover our place in God's story when we pray this way. And it's not just about how we look praying or about saying the right things at the front of church or when we're gathering around someone to pray. It's like there's this earnest looking of going, God, what does it look like for me to pursue and embody and be about the story in my everyday life? And then Jesus moves on to forgiveness. Chapter 14, if, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. <coughs> and then he moves into fasting. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you once again. There is this movement towards uprightness and simplicity and unity. God, I just want to see you. I just want to connect with you. I want to be drawn to you and it's like it's not about what other people see or about what other people recognize or other people affirm in you and then there's this whole area of personal value do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also now here's something really interesting, right? I think it's really easy to like just look at that verse a little bit out of context and, and go, okay, sweet, that's just about making sure um, I'm really kidding out my sweet pad of the heaven castle. You know, like, hmm, I know if I do this good thing, getting an 80-inch television or something, you know, I, I don't know what people want in rooms in heaven. <clears throat> But actually, like in the context of the Beatitudes and in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, I think that this, is actually, this has actually got a lot to do with identity and purpose. And, it's like, and I think what Jesus is saying here, don't put all of your value in the things that the people in this world are giving you or what other people say to you or in the things that you have. That's not where your identity comes from. Rather, store up for yourself treasure in heaven, how you get personal value, how you feel valued. Store up those things in, he in heaven, in the will of God, in the person of God. That, I think, is what um, Jesus is talking about in this context. 
So it's like, it's like actually discovering a value and pursuing and seeking first the heart of God. There is a fullness of life to be discovered there. And in the context of the Beatitudes, there is a blessedness to be discovered in that place. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you has darkness, how great is the darkness? And then he finishes with this unity of heart. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, right? Doesn't this just come straight back to this whole thing of a, of, of a shared heart? And actually this thing of going, actually the one thing, the driving thing, the motivating thing, is to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first God's heart. And that's actually where Jesus begins to take it as, as we wrap out um, Matthew chapter 6. And so we see, I think, in these first 24 verses of Matthew chapter 6, <clears throat> Jesus really giving the framework of this, of this pure of heart thing. This is what purity looks like. This is what it looks like to seek first God's kingdom, to seek first the heart of God, to, to desire those things. And these are like tricky things to talk about, actually. You know, when we're talking about the Beatitudes and we're talking about these sort of, essentially like just these one-liners. But Jesus is saying like, it is, it is out of, you know, sort of, it is from our heart that, that things spring, that the representation of God comes or, or who we are and what we're about comes. And so actually that's something we need to nurture we need to cultivate and we need to look after. So we need to think about how we do those things, how we pursue the things of God. There is a value that, that Jesus is saying, if you can place a value on cultivating a pure heart, then those people, those kinds of people, they will see God. And so for us, as we draw towards something of a, a close, <coughs> man, sorry, man, my voice is going tonight. How do we nurture a pure heart. Well, there's a couple things. First of all, as we look through through Matthew chapter six, I think that there is a real um, sense of orientation towards the other. So purity of heart, though first of all concerned with the relationship with God, it obviously has fundamental implications for our relationships with others. And it implies this, that others are to be loved, to be respected, and never to be used as instruments to serve our desires and our interests. So honestly, the way we serve other people, the way we react to other people, the way we love other people, um, it does something in our heart. Isaac um, the Syrian, who was a bishop of Nineveh in the 7th century, said this, When he sees all men in a good light, without anyone appearing to him unclean or defiled, such a man has really reached purity. Right? So when we begin to look at anyone, everyone say that after me, anyone, anyone, it's only when we can look upon the other with love and with grace and with kindness that we're actually moving towards the pure heart of God, the, the heart that Jesus longs for us. This is how we discover the pure heart. When he sees all men in a good light without anyone appearing to him, unclean or defiled, such a man has really reached the purity. Man, I, I love that and it's deeply challenging. So that's the first thing. We need to think about how we orient ourselves towards the other and we need to just be a little bit more. I think it, I think it comes down to sometimes simply catching ourselves when we're talking about other people 
or when you're when you're driving. And I'm notorious like I'm notorious for this. You know, I'll be driving to work, and a situation. Sometimes a past conversation, something someone has said to me about someone else, and I just get like I just start getting like real grumpy and grouchy internally. You know, and I think, man, what does that person know? You know, like even even this week, it's not like it's not like man, I've been on a pure heart journey this week. Woo. You know, like. I've, I've found myself even this week like just feeling so angry towards someone else, like, like someone else and just being like, ah, I don't think that person knows anything, you know, <laughs> like, you know, and, and, and you end up vilifying and, and actually stripping others of their humanity. So there's this, this real sense of like, how do you look upon the other? How do you respond towards the other? How do you be generous towards the other? You know, sort of living really open-handed in a way that you might see them as beautiful and to love them and in the process discover a pure heart. That's the first thing. Second thing I think is this, is that we have to be aware of looking after our own heart and tending to our own heart. It is very easy, like I just described, to let things begin to fester. And sometimes we are wounded, and sometimes we don't tend to those wounds, and they end up getting infected. And then at that point, it's not the wound that's the problem, it's the infection. And more often than not, like we're responsible for the infection. So any suffering that we experience, it can easily become an accusation, it can become bitterness, it can become a judgment of some kind, it can become uh, pessimism uh, or skepticism or cynicism, it can become a form of discouragement or worry or anxiety, it can become some sort of like internal brokenness, Um, you know, it can become violent. Anything that's sort of done to us, an atrocity that's done to us, can actually begin to, to break us down and really damage, damage us. But here's the thing, it's not the suffering, it's not the thing that happened that causes us the harm. Mark, 7, uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus says this, There is nothing outside a man which by going into him can defile him, but the things which come out of a man are what defile him. So how we respond to things shapes what is happening in our heart. How we respond to things shapes the person we are becoming. This is why I think this beatitude is actually positioned right after the beatitude about mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. This is why when Jesus lays out, I think, his little, his little Lord's Prayer, he sort of ends it with like this little thing, this little extra thing explaining how forgiveness works. Because it's when those things happen to us, if, they, if, they, if we let them sort of eat us up, they actually turn us into something that we're often not happy with or we don't long to be. And often it turns us into the kind of person who could end up damaging others and, uh, and even damaging ourselves. So there is the sense of how do I respond? How do I look after myself? You know, um, I think forgiveness is a powerful thing. If you missed this morning's message, listen to Makarita. It was a, a beautiful message. It's like we've got to be able to go on the journey of forgiveness sometimes, of, of not just like liberating this other person, but actually liberating ourselves from, from the burden of carrying that thing. Because unforgiveness, man, that's a, that's a disease in and of itself. And so these are things we have to be careful of. We need to, we need to go into those places. This is why I think I talk a lot of the time about us being the kind of community that values authenticity, values vulnerability, um, values like good, sort, good conflict resolution. It's like talk things out. 
You know, if you've got stuff going on in your life, find someone to talk to about it. Because it's in that sort of space you're able to actually bring those things to the surface and they don't, they don't embed. You can get those things out and you get to move towards uh, wholeness of life, towards purity of heart. And my final thought about this is that there, there is, a, there is a, uh, an element of determination that is sort of intrinsically wired into the concept of purity of heart. There is the sense of like, man, I really want to push for and, and grow uh, in God. So Teresa of Avila, she often speaks about determination, especially as it's manifested in faithfulness to prayer. And so here's the thing. Purity of heart does not lie, once again, in being perfect, but actually purity of heart is about this determination to move towards God um, in our times of, of prayer and, and, and those sorts of things. Um, purity is all about our orientation, about inclining our heart towards God. So the question is, it's like, it's like towards what and towards whom are my hope and my prayers and my desires and my longings and my goals and my ambitions? Towards what am I aiming those things? And it's hard. There are times where God feels absent or far away. Um, <clears throat> There are times where we actually just feel a little bit let down by our church community uh, or we feel like God didn't show up for us. But what Teresa of Avila would say is like, there is a determination in our prayer life, um, in our faith life, when we actually go, I know these things, but God, I'm going to choose to trust and I'm going to choose to persevere and I'm going to choose to just push just a little bit more. And it's in that determination that we discover something of that purity and that movement towards it. So purity is above all a matter of orientation. And so in that, you know, I would say that, that actually nothing helps us move more towards that purity of heart than some element of just praising and blessing. My final note here is this, is that a grateful heart is a pure heart. And so what helps with all these things? It just, it just helps to start with gratitude. Gratitude anchors us in the truth of who God is. It anchors us in the truth of, of who our friends are and who the people are that love us are. Um, gratitude anchors us in our sense of vocation and our identity and our purpose. You know, gratitude anchors us in the story of God and the things of God's kingdom. Gratitude anchors us and it moves us towards the purity of heart that I think Jesus is talking about when he lays it down as a beatitude. And to, and to just bring it back, it's like this whole thing. It's not about becoming perfect, but it's about discovering and longing for the things of God's kingdom. And so we look after ourselves, we orient ourselves towards the other, and we prayerfully and faithfully look to just always, determinedly move towards the things of God and the things of God's kingdom. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.